the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. As we close out the week here on Abounding Grace, we do so looking once again to the cross of Christ. Join us. To be sure, most would listen in on the opening of this program and probably tune out because, after all, it's not Easter, it's Christmas. And so we don't celebrate Easter during Christmas, but you see, that's precisely what Christmas was all about, so that Easter could actually take place. And you see, without Easter, Christmas has no meaning at all. We would invite you to join us today as we continue our little mini-series, as we continue perusing through the book of Luke. It's called The Crucifixion of Jesus, part three today. Luke 23 is where we're at, verses 35 through 49. With today's broadcast of Abounding Grace, once again, here's Pastor Gary Wagner. Today we come to verse 35 of Luke 23. And the people stood by looking on, And even the rulers were sneering at him, saying, He saved others. Let him save himself, if this is the Christ of God, the Chosen One. And the soldier also mocked him, coming up to him, offering him sour wine, and saying, If you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. Here we see that Christ is on the cross, and everyone has rejected him. The soldiers have rejected him. The crowds rejected him. The church leaders have rejected him. And not because of any guilt that was found in him, but because he didn't turn out to be the kind of king and Messiah that they wanted. They were disappointed in him. They had preconceived notions as to what he would actually do. They expected him to set up a political empire and overthrow the Roman government. And now he gets himself killed. They are tremendously disappointed. And Jesus, hanging on the cross, heard himself being mocked. Can you imagine the pain? Here he is dying on the cross for sinners And he hears those same sinners mocking him. If you're Christ, calm down off that cross. While he was on the cross, he was suffering all the mocking of hell. And all of this mocking and everything else that takes place there on that cross are simply instruments in the hands of God, inflicting on him the wrath that our sins deserve. Theologian Claus Schilder said this, The suffering of Christ was even more severe than the suffering of hell. Why more? Because Christ suffers differently in hell on the cross than does anyone else. He is 
the sinless one. Hence, hell, in hell, he is the absolute stranger. When a lost child of man has gone into the darkness of hell, and when he is mocked thereby the spirits who are bound by the same bonds which fetter him, we can say that the hatred of the one is like a sharp thorn in his flesh. But the other person is in the same sin. In the other person, the same sinful passions are active. But Christ suffers the pain of the mocking of hell while he himself remains holy and innocent and pure. It may be a terrible thing to be a sinner among sinners, a dead person among dead people. But Christ is the holy person among sinners, the living person among the dead. His suffering in hell was more terrible than that of any person in the realm of outer, outer darkness. No one in eternity will ever experience this mocking of hell so intensely, nor drink of it more fully as Christ does here on the cross. No one will ever appreciate his distress. No one in heaven or in hell. And all of it was done for us so that we might not go to hell, end quote. They said, Jesus, if you are everything you claim to be, calm down off the cross. Prove to us once and for all that you are the Christ of God. Now, you know, don't you, that he could have. He could have very easily, while he was hanging on the cross, pulled his hands off the cross, throwing the nails into the crowd, lifted his feet, shooting that nail into the sky, walk off the cross, snap his fingers, killing everyone, and proved irrefutably that he is who he claims to be. He could have done it. He could have performed miracles. They said, save yourself, Jesus, and he could have saved himself. But what did he do? He held his peace. And praise the Lord, he did, beloved, because if he had not saved himself that day, he could not have saved us. So he didn't give in to their cries and their sneers, not because he couldn't, but because he wouldn't for our sake. He remained on that cross because he loved us so much, and he saved us rather than himself. Notice the next thing the text says happened this day in verse 38. Now there was also an inscription above him nailed to the cross. This is the king of the Jews. Now, John makes much of this in John chapter 19. And John includes a conversation that took place there that day concerning this inscription or this plaque. John 19, 19, and 20 say, And Pilate wrote an inscription also and put it on the cross. It was written, Jesus the Nazarene, the King of the Jews. Therefore, this inscription many of the Jews read. For the place where Jesus was crucified was near the city, and it was written in Hebrew, Latin, and in Greek. So the chief priests of the Jews were saying to Pilate, Don't write the King of the Jews, but that he said, I am the King of the Jews. Pilate answered, what I have written, I have written. 
So that plaque caused quite a steer. And Pilate had this plaque nailed over Jesus' head in the three great languages of the day, Latin, Greek, and Hebrew. At this point, Jesus is defied by Pilate. He is mocked. He's made a public spectacle as the king of the Jews. And this, of course, is all a caricature. And to put it in modern language, what Pilate said is as anti-Christian and anti-Semitic as you can get. What he said in essence over the head of Jesus is, here is your big Jew king. That's what Pilate intended by that plaque. He was saying, in effect, oh, these Jews, they're worth no more to me than this miserable, broken down king that I'm crucifying. The Jews are like him. They're all good for nothing. And you see, that is why that inscription by Pilate was a severe humiliation for the Lord Jesus Christ, who was being made a dupe of Pilate's simple mood. How humbling for this true king to be treated so poorly. But brethren, you could say that over Pilate's inscription, God wrote his own plaque. God speaks through and above Pilate. And what does God say? You Romans, you, you Greeks, you Hebrews, this is the king of the Jews. This inscription of Christ's universal kingship placed over his head on the cross is God's public repudiation of all the sentimental and anemic views of Jesus with a halo around his head. You know, the pictures I'm talking about, he seems washed out, weak, anemic, even feminine. Well, this great claim of God over Pilate that this is the king of the world was God's way of repudi repudiating all the anemic views of Jesus. Jesus is our Lord and our God. He is the king of the whole world. He is the king of our hearts, and we are to declare his lordship every day in all of our duties, our callings, and our relationships. He is the great king. What God has written, he has written. God declares him to be our king, and that is what he is. And that's the end of the matter. Now, your choice and mine is to bow before the King, the Lord Jesus Christ, as our own King, and serve Him and give our lives and our time and energy to Him, or perish someday under His judgment. Now, there are several unusual and extraordinary things that happened that day that come up next in our text while Christ was dying, and I'll come back to those. But I want to go down to a few verses to his death cry. Remember, Luke only mentions two things that Jesus said on the cross out of the seven things he actually said. And he mentions only those two because those are the ones that illustrate the theme of his book. And the first is up in verse 34. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Now, we looked at that last week. And this is God, is, is this is a prayer by God, and it's answered 
by the holding back of the destroying of Jerusalem for 40 years, giving the people opportunity to actually learn about him. And then, on the day of Pentecost, thousands of Jews were brought to faith in him as their Lord and Savior. Answer to Christ's prayer. And now he says in verse 46, And Jesus, crying out with a loud voice, said, Father, into thy hands I commit my spirit. And having said this, he breathed his last. Now, do some of you remember the movie Braveheart? Actually, my favorite movie of all time. And I'm not trying here to compare William Wallace, who the movie's all about, to Jesus in any way, shape, or form, except at one point. Toward the end of the movie, when Wallace is being tortured to death, after being beaten and stretched on a rack, and they began to disembowel him, and he is, of course, suffering excruciating pain at the hands of his English tyrants, And they tell him, all you have to do is recant what you believe and be faithful to the throne. But William Wallace, last ounce of energy, and it wasn't just a whimper, he cried out, freedom! Jesus in his death did something very similar. After being up all night long, being shuffled to and fro from one court to another, and in between, being beaten until his back was a bloody pulp, hanging on a cross, with spikes driven through his hands and his feet, a crown of thorns shoved into his head, totally exhausted, no strength left, he musters one great final cry, into my, into thy hands I commit my spirit, Father. And having said that, He breathed his last. Do you know what's the most important word in that sentence? Father. God abandoned him. And do you remember what he said earlier? My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why have you forsaken me? Why have you poured out your curse upon me? Why have you separated yourself from me? And through all of that suffering and all of that agony and the strokes of divine justice upon his body and soul, Jesus is still loving his Father. Still with all of his heart, all of his strength, soul, and mind. Still trusting in him till his very last breath. Now that's important. Because of anywhere along the line, Christ quit trusting the Father or quit loving the Father with his entire being. He would have deserved the punishment he received. And it could not be our Savior. But to the very last, he had faith in God as his Father. The soldiers came up about this point, maybe just a little before with big wooden mallets in their hands, which is what they used to break the legs of people being crucified if they were taking too long to die. They would whack their legs with these mallets so that the victim could no longer 
push himself up off the nail so that he could breathe. And they would suffocate because being bent over, they couldn't draw air into their lungs. But when they came to Jesus, he was already dead. And so as a result, there was no need to break his legs. There being the fulfillment of another prophecy, Psalm twenty-two, sixteen. For dogs have surrounded me, a band of evildoers has encompassed me. They pierce my hands and my feet, but I can count all my bones. Even the Roman soldiers were doing what God predestined to be done. They had no need to break his bones with those mallets. Now, what does this say to you about Jesus? Well, what are the two great themes throughout Christ's crucifixion? One, his willingness to die for sinners. Two, he is the king. He is the sovereign king. He is in complete control of everything surrounding his death. He was in control of everything before he died, and now he's still in control in his death and after his death. He's still controlling things around the cross. They're not going to break my legs. He is still in control. He's the only person who has ever lived who's chosen to become obedient unto death at the time he wanted to die. Even the death of the cross, all the rest of us die when our time comes. So he is dead, and the soldiers cast a spear in his body. Blood and water came forth, which is something that will happen at death, proving one is actually dead. He breathed his last, and he is dead. Jesus Christ is now dead. Praise God, he was dead. And dare I say, praise God for that water and blood. For were there no blood and water pouring from his side that day, I and you would be damned. Because it was not just suffering that God required as payment of our sins. It was death that he required. For the wages of sin is death. And the blood and the water coming from his side prove that this divine man is dead. And so his spirit is set free. He's still in control, abandoned by God in our place because he's covered with our sins. And another gospel writer says that on the cross, Jesus said, it is finished. Beloved, that was not a cry of defeat. That was not a man saying tragically, everything I wanted to do is a failure. It's finished. It's over. No, it is a cry of victory. It is finished. It is completed. It is done. Everything I came to earth to do, I have done. Everything I agreed with the Father before all eternity to do in order to save his people from their sins, I have done it. So once for all, here in my suffering and death and burial, I have obtained eternal redemption for everyone for whom I died. Their debts have been paid, and they are accepted with God in my abandonment 
by God. Well, there were several miracles and extraordinary things that happened in connection with the death of Christ, and Luke mentions a few. So let's just take a look, and we'll learn a bit more about the death of Christ. Look at verses 45, 44 and 45. And it was about the sixth hour, 12 o'clock noon, and darkness fell over the whole land until the ninth hour, 3 o'clock in the afternoon, the sun being obscured. In Greek, it says literally, the sun failed. This is not a natural happening. Don't look for some eclipse in the sky that just happened to take place at the same time Christ was on the cross. This is a miracle. While Jesus was on the cross, the entire land of Palestine was in total darkness for three hours. Have you ever been in total darkness? Not many people have. But here the sun fails. Complete darkness for three hours throughout the entire land of Palestine. Now, darkness in the Bible is highly significant and symbolic. What was the first gift that the goodness of God ever gave to this created universe, which this universe could not create itself? It was light. Everything was dark, and God shined light into this universe. That was God's first gift, the gift of His grace to this universe. And now Jesus hangs on the cross in total darkness. All the gifts of God's goodness are removed from Jesus. All the gifts of God's grace are snatched away from Him. While Jesus was on the cross, the only thing he was experiencing was the dark fires of God's wrath in our place. Jesus hung there alone in darkness so we can stand in the light of God. God took all of his gifts from him that he might give them to his people. That darkness that engulfed Jesus, we should rejoice in. Praise the Lord, there was total darkness while Jesus was on the cross. You know, there was another time we read of darkness in Exodus uh, during the plagues that God sent Egypt in order to break them so that they would let the children of Israel flee slavery into freedom as the people of God. It was total darkness. And that total darkness all over Egypt was the curse of, God upon, curse of God upon Egypt. And it was that and the last plague that finally broke Pharaoh. The last plague was, of course, the death of all the firstborn. Now, let me ask you, who was hanging on a cross in total darkness? It was the firstborn of God, the only begotten Son of God. And what happened as a result of God cursing all of Egypt with darkness and with death? There was the exodus. There was their liberation from freedom. There was the constitution of that people who were freed from Egypt into the people of God. God's covenant people. 
Think of all of that when you think of Jesus being crucified in darkness. Out of the ancient darkness came the exodus. Out of the darkness of the cross on which the firstborn of God was dying came the new exodus, the new deliverance from the bondage of sin and the recreation of the covenant nation into something that is no longer apostate, but something that loves him and serves him throughout all of their generations. And we are here today as the new Israel. Well, that's all the time we have. This has been Abounding Grace with Pastor Gary Wagner, the ministry of Reformed Heritage Church in San Jose. It is our goal and desire that you would abound in grace through the preaching and teaching of God's Word. And that is why we come to you on a daily basis. Now, as we close out our time together, we also realize that some of these messages that are presented here on Abounding Grace are well worth reviewing again at your convenience. Maybe you joined us a bit late. Well, we have copies on CD. They're just $5. Mention today's date as you call or write to us. Here's how to get in touch with us. The phone number is 408-866-5607. That's 408-866-5607. You're welcome to also visit our website, learn a bit more about us. We're at reformedheritage.org. Again, reformedheritage.org. And then, of course, if you would love to partner with us, if you're feeling led of the Lord to become a financial partner with us as we continue this ministry here on this station, please write to us at PMB number 402. And the address is 1484 Pollard Road, Los Gatos, California, The zip code is 95032. Or, again, simply call us, 408-866-5607. That's 408-866-5607. You're also welcome to join us for worship. Sunday services here at Reformed Heritage Church are at 5055 Lone Hill Road in Los Gatos. We meet at the Lone Hill Church 2 in the afternoon. Directions can be found at reformedheritage.org or by, again, calling 408 866-5607. We thank you for joining us and trust we'll see you again next time we get together for another broadcast of Abounding Grace with Pastor Gary Wagner. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never before seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com, salemnow.com.